We are starting a new series this morning, and it is Advent 2016, and this new series is going to focus on God making a promise. And God made a promise beginning in the garden that would find its ultimate fulfillment in Christmas. Christmas proved that God could be trusted throughout the ages to fulfill the promise. A promise that he made willingly and he bound himself to his creation of man and a relationship with him that he fulfilled at Christmas. This promise is called a covenant. And just at a glance, if you were to have your Bibles in Luke 1, 2, and 3, and I could go through probably the first eight chapters of Luke to show you how Luke, he includes in his record, his good news of the gospel, the emphasis that God keeps his promise. And let me give you just a couple of different people who highlight that, who uh, it registers with. Uh, Chapter 1 of Luke. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 54 and 55. This is Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, says, He, being God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In other words, what he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to all of the offspring that followed, what he spoke to them has come to pass. It's come true with the birth of Jesus. And remember what Jesus was named? Jesus, you will know that God has come among you. This one shall be born to you, and he shall be named Emmanuel, God with you. Uh, Verse 72 through verse 75. Now this is Zechariah. Zechariah is speaking at this point, and he says, Wow, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenants. In other words, his holy promise. A promise that is set apart and it's like no other. It's the biggest promise ever made. And he remembered it. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. In other words, it's a big, big promise. It's saying he's going to come. He's going to rescue us. He's going to include us in his family. He has a future plan for us that we are going to serve him in his kingdom forever. It's huge. And then finally, let's jump over. That was uh, Luke 1, Luke 2. Let's jump over to uh, Luke chapter 3. Okay. All right, I'm missing this one. This is Simeon. I might have looked elsewhere for this. Pardon. All right, Luke chapter 3, verse 29. It's again Luke 2. 
Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now this is an old man, a prophet who's in the temple and Jesus is placed in his arms. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And so again, Simeon is saying, all of my life, all of my life, I've been looking and looking and looking for the fulfillment of this promise. Or even evidence that would further hasten the fulfillment of this promise. And now in my very, very old age, holding him in my arms is an evidence that God has made a promise and God keeps his promise at Christmas. And that's where we're going. So we're going to take the next number of the weeks and we're going to look at these instances. And there are six of them. And you might say, well, we only have five Sundays. Well, one of them we're going to look at on Christmas Eve briefly. But these six promises that God made to six individuals, the first being Adam that we're going to look at briefly today, and then the last being Jesus. But Jesus is the fulfillment of, of all of the promises that are made. Or also, you'll hear me use as a synonym, a promise, covenant. Because the Bible does. The Bible, more often than not, uses the word covenant to talk about the the seriousness of this promise beyond all others. But this is a promise that he began in creation and that will ultimately find its fulfillment and consummation when we have made it to the new heaven and the new earth. Now, this is, this is big. This is huge. This is the whole story of the Bible. The covenant promise of God is this. And if you miss everything uh, this morning, then remember this. But take it personally. God says... To us, not simply an individual, but to a people, to to a family, his family. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. From Genesis to Revelation, throughout all eternity, we see this story, this pattern, this this, uh, rubric, played out for you see the bible is a story look at what it has in common with all stories all stories have a prologue they have conflict it's resolved and it has a conclusion so if you're a budding author you must have those four elements look at the bible it has the beginning of the story the prologue is the creation which we're going to look at briefly this morning It has a fall. There's the conflict in the garden. Then there's redemption. And then there's consummation. That is the conclusion. Even though there is no conclusion, for it goes on and on and on, never ending, eternal. And what we see is the, the role of God is that we see God is the Father And God the Father is at work particularly in the creation business. 
you see here, and these verses are not printed uh, for you. They're uh, Genesis 2, verses 8 through 10. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We see God is the Creator. And then much later, we see Jesus is the Redeemer. He's the, he's the great hero and rescuer. And we, we see Him in just a, a very glimpse in Genesis, though we're not going to look at the Scripture this morning. We see Him when He is promised after the fall of man, after the conflict, after He's eating the, the one tree out of thousands of good trees, He chose one tree to go against God's Word. God simply had said, there's one wish that I have. There's one command that I have. I want to see if you'll trust my Word. And so, He allowed man to look at the tree, walk around the tree, among thousands of trees filled with delicious fruit. But it was a test of wills. It was one man going against God's Word. And Jesus the Redeemer is promised, even in the garden, when man is ushered out, God says, one day, one day I will return you to this garden that I have planted for you. And the Holy Spirit is the recreator. The Holy Spirit is at work now in the Christian's life who has been created by God, redeemed by Jesus. The Holy Spirit is at work recreating us. In other words, there's hope for you. There's a lot of hope for you. God has not finished in you yet. And it's not on your shoulders. Your change and to be the sons and the daughter of God's design it's really on the shoulders of the Holy Spirit. And we look with all faith to the grace of God demonstrated by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. And He will and He is. And it's a promise. And it's a part of His covenant promise. Not only does He forgive us, but He transforms us. We see that there's only two, two elements in all of creation. There are only two really uh, statuses. There's the creator and there's the creation. We see his creation of being the ground, the garden, trees, river, animals, and then man. We read in Genesis in verse 27 of chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God says that in His, as the Creator, He is the Creator, he created everything. There is no other source. There was no life to give life prior to Him giving life. 
And God says, I am entering into a relationship as the Creator. I'm coming down to walk in this very garden that I implanted. I am now coming into a relationship with Adam, with Eden, the world at that time, and with Eve. I'm coming to have a relationship with man that I made in my image. I didn't do this with any of the other animals. In fact, man, as we read earlier, man will name the animals. God didn't enter into a relation of intimacy with any creature except man because man alone bore his image. It's called the Imago Dei, which is fancy Latin words. But what you need to know is that behind all civil rights, behind every fight or campaign or desire to give justice to men and women over all of the world or to show and to give freedom and dignity and life is the Imago Dei that every man, woman, and child, no matter their attitude, no matter their skin color, no matter their social status, no matter their location in the world, is made in the image of God. That's why murder is one of the Ten Commandments because when we murder someone, we're not only doing harm to a person, but we're breaking the Creator's specific design that's a piece of Him. It's after His image. When we look in the mirror, we're to see someone that is more than just what our neighbor or somebody in an intimate relationship tells us that we are. I am an image bearer, fallen, faulty, decaying, and ruined, and yet being ever transformed more and more to bear the image of God. I have dignity. Whether I carry myself with dignity or not, God puts dignity upon me and says, you are mine. And in Christ, he says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are not nobody. You are not those names or accusations that that, that voice inside of you condemns and accuses you of. You're not an overweight person that eats too much at Thanksgiving. You're not a, 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 you're not a, a, a slothful, lazy person that doesn't exercise the day after thanksgiving that's not what god says god comes to us and he says you're mine no matter what you see in the mirror here's what i see i see my beautiful son i see my beautiful daughter created in my image god god has a relationship with adam that you can see now And we'll see it played out as we look at each of the promises, each of the covenants. But he makes a promise to Adam that I will be your God. You'll be my son. And more than that, you'll be my people's. You'll be mine more so than anything else in creation. And he doesn't break his promise. Think about your wedding vows if you're married. What you're saying in your wedding vows 
Matt Chandler says this in his book, Mingling of Souls on Marriage. He says, what you're saying in your wedding vows is this. For better, for worse, sickness, ill health, poverty. What you're saying is that this marriage, this relationship could go bad. There can be really, really hard times ahead, and they will. But what I'm saying with my vow, my promise to this other person, is that even if it goes badly, I'm not leaving. I am in this for the bad and for the good. I'm in it for the the better and the worse. I'm not leaving. And a wedding vow, a wedding covenant, is modeled off the very covenant that God communicates in form to Adam. And yes, I need to say that because I know that there are some who are very precise theologians in our midst and you don't see the word covenant here in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. You don't see the word covenant come up until we see Noah or we see Abraham. But back in Hosea, chapter 6, or way forward in Hosea, Hosea the prophet looking back, Hosea chapter 6 verse 7, we read that Israel, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant, there they dealt faithlessly with me. In other words, Hosea and others came to realize that Adam in relation to God, was in a covenant. Though the word covenant doesn't appear, it has every def- it has every description. It has the description of a relationship that God has bound himself to to be in as God in relation and never leave. He's bound himself in a promise. And he also does that with the earth. He does that with his creation. There you see him in verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. You see it in verse 9. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. In verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. Now again, he formed them out of the ground. He formed Adam out of the ground formed Eve out of the ground, or out of, out of Adam, excuse me. But he has a, it's only Adam that's an image bearer, as well as Eve through Adam. But he brings the animals. It says, and I think this would have been really cool to know how God did, did this. So that he presented, he had all the animals, brought them to the man and see what they would call them. But every tree is made by God. All the fruit comes from the tree, thus from God. All the birds are made by God. All the animals are made by God. Everybody listens to His Word and obeys. Everybody is under His creation is also under a covenant relationship with God. God doesn't abandon His creation. Not man in His image or not the world that He fashioned by hand and design. What's the point? I am. I have been giving some thought to Tuesday afternoon. 
Tuesday afternoon, I am being invited by the family to be a part of the memorial service for Claire Johnson, Susan Gross' mom, who we've been following Suzanne and, and her mom with our prayers has passed away. In meeting with the family and talking with them, yes, they are sad at her departure and her loss, but because of her Christian faith and her testimony, they are very, very hopeful as we began to talk at her bedside, even before she passed away, but hospice was soon to arrive. As we were talking around the bedside, I reflected and began to talk about heaven. And it became with the family members a very animated conversation. Do you think that we'll, we'll have animals in heaven? And I said, yeah, and if C.S. Lewis is right, those animals will talk. How wild will that be? Well, do you think our pets will be in heaven? Well, if John Piper's right, he believes that he is going to arrive in heaven and one of the first things to greet him will be his old dog Blackie bounding across a field to him. Well, do you believe that, that, that we'll recognize family members? And so I came back and said, well, how old do you think we'll be in heaven? And not to be undone, that's uh, Suzanne's dad was an elder, so I think they know Bible trivia and know the Bible pretty well. They said, 33 years old. I said, ah, what do you base that on? Jesus. Jesus was 33 years old. Well, the theologian Augustine said that he believed that we would all be 33 years old. So imagine your grandfather who's passed away or your great-great-grandfather who you only knew in their dotage, and there they stand before you when you arrive in heaven 33 years of age. Or sadly, for some of us families that have lost a child, 33 years of age. I don't know. I don't know. No eye has seen. No ear has quite heard what awaits us in heaven. And when I talk about heaven, I'm talking about this world. Now, I know that sounds... Strange, almost paradoxical. But what I'm talking about is the new heaven and the new earth, which is our ultimate destiny. For you see, God did not abandon man, Adam, when he created a conflict in the fall, and he did not abandon Eden in the fall either. In Romans... Chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, we read, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Can I translate? There is a promise that was not made simply to Adam or to Eve and to their offspring, but it was made to all of his creatures, all of his creation. And that the world, which had ever been obedient to God's word, took him at his word. 
And Paul is saying, it's as if creation, all of this world has a voice and it's just saying, please come back, please come back, please redeem, please redeem. And begin, the beginning sign is when the sons of God, which is Paul's way of saying sons and daughters, when the sons of God are revealed. As we see human lives transformed as image bearers, as we see Him keeping His promise to rescue us and to change us, then He's going to keep His promise to rescue the world and to change it to be Eden again. In other words, we can look outside of our car windows at this world and by faith and keeping and knowing that God keeps His promises, we can say, that tree, though the leaves are currently falling off, or it might have a little bit of rot on one side, that tree may very possibly be in the new heaven and the new earth. And it will be right and set to good. It will be transformed even as I am transformed. We don't believe that we're just going to die and float on clouds. We believe that one day, because of God's promise that He made to Adam and He made to the earth, we're going to return to Eden, to a new Eden. And it's not going to be simply a garden that He planted by design, now fallen into decay, but this gardener, is going to have it grow and to be a great and mighty city. Read on your own Revelation 21 and 22, but the geography bears a striking resemblance to Jerusalem, but it has a lot of the same bearing of Eden, which we don't know precisely where it is. A river coming from its throne, trees lining that river, There in the midst is the gardener. God dwelling with His people in a new creation. That's the promise. R.C. Sproul puts it this way. And I've got one little quote mark instead of two because this is not a direct quote. So again, those of you who are into precision, this is just the way I remember him saying it. God's covenant goal is for man's return to the Garden of Eden, and again, that's women, naked and unashamed in the very presence of God for eternity. Now, we don't know that you're going to necessarily be naked. You may very well have a robe, I don't know, you know, climbing clothes ready for the climb, scuba clothes ready for a deep sea swim. I don't know. But there's a promise that you're not going to feel like you have to cover anything anymore. You will be unashamed in the new heaven and the new earth as God keeps His promise because the fulfillment of the promise on His side is you. He wants to be in our midst. He wants to dwell with us forever. There is one last thing, and that is that we would see that God blesses Adam's relationship with Eve. That from his rib he creates a woman. And this would be a great place to go off on on a tangent or the side road and talk about how our marriages, for those of us that are married, 
is a covenant oath and a covenant relationship. And it's patterned after God's marriage with us through Jesus. We are the bride, the church, and He's the bridegroom. But I see more there. It's that emphasis that we are, God has made a promise, not simply to you, but to a community, to a people. We are made for relationships. The Bible, and therefore Christianity, knows nothing about a solitary man's religion. When you meet someone and say, well, you know what, I don't need to go to church. I just worship God on my own. You can say, liar. Or I don't know that God. Or you can certainly say, that's not God's design. I'm so sorry. Do you live on some, in some place where there is no church and there is no people? And I understand from time to time, you may be stuck someplace. Even an oil rig, though, has a chapel. You may be stuck someplace that you can't. But God's design is for us to be in a relationship with one another. A relationship that He's designed us for. As He's planted this garden, He doesn't want us to be in it alone. And that's not His design. He doesn't want to simply be your God and your God and then you not be together. He wants to be our God together. And God keeps His relationship and His promises even to the least in our community. And He wants to use us in their lives to ever be reminded them that we have the same God. We're in the same family. We're the beneficiaries of the same promise. We're in relationship to one another. Wouldn't it be neat if God could give us something to remember this promise? To remember that I'm, I have dignity, I have value in God's eyes. I'm made in His image. That God has a promised home for me. I don't just go somewhere in the clouds. He has a, it's, it's a home with trees and land and rivers. And God doesn't have a plan for me to be alone the rest of my life. He wants me to be in community now and forever. Wouldn't it be neat if we had like a, a sign or a reminder? Maybe this table. Maybe this table would signify that Jesus didn't die for an animal. He died for a soul. He died for creatures that He loved and He put His love upon because He valued us. Even when we saw no value in ourselves, He said, you will be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And He sees us that way now. And we take His body and it reminds us of that. He tells us at the end of supper that He won't drink this cup until He drinks it again in the kingdom, at the kingdom feast, at the wedding feast of the land, with us. So there is a promised home with wine being drunk and, and a meal being served and a feast being had. And He tells us that at this table we don't participate 
as one worshiper, but we participate as a family, as a church, because we're in community with one another. And that, even in community with those that have left us and now dwell with God on high. Let us feast at this table now and remember that God has made promises to us that He has and is fulfilling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you set aside these humble elements of bread and wine for that very purpose. To remind me of the value that you have placed upon each of our lives through Christ. How valuable we are to you. You are our creator. You are our Lord and our guide, our God, and you are in our midst. Remind us as we drink this wine that one day we'll drink this wine with you in a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll drink it and feast and have community with loved ones, friends, and all of your people. So, Father, feed our hungry hearts with these rich promises this day, even from this table, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.